Hey everyone, this is Pastor Matt. I recently had a chance to interview my parents on a Sunday morning, and you get to set in on it today. I hope you enjoy this podcast. This morning we're going to do something a little different, and I, I understand it is different, um, but I just wanted to, to share from my heart just for a few minutes today, um, and uh I was thinking about this this idea. Um, if you have your Bibles, grab them if you would. Your phone or your tablet or whatever it is you use for the Word this morning. I just want to I want you to look at something with me. Uh, I was thinking tomorrow. Tomorrow I have plans, serious plans to, of ministry. Uh, I'm planning on going fishing tomorrow. And, and every once in a while you need to do those type of things, right? And I'll be taking out the boat and we'll do a little fishing. And, and, and I was thinking about it. I wanted to call it this this morning, your wake. Your wake. And the, the wake that's left. If you've ever been in a boat, you understand what the wake is, right? It, you, this is a good picture of it here. It, it, you see the boat and then you see what's tailing behind is, is the wake. And, and it's really, it follows all, all of us leave a wake in life. All of us, every one of us, leave a wake behind us. Throughout life, we're living our life, we're going through life, we're, we're doing our thing, and we're doing our stuff, and we're having kids, and we're having grandkids, and we're working jobs, and we're hoping to retire, and, and we're trying to get to the ball games, we're trying to get to church, and we're trying to do all this stuff, and, and we're just kind of, we're going through life, but behind us, we're leaving a wake. And, and that wake, it extends from us all the way back from generation to generation to generation, you're leaving something behind. And I'm not really talking today about, you know, uh, your finances or your homes or your cars or, or whatever it is that you're leaving your kids one day. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about something far more important than that. Proverbs 22 says this, favor is better than silver and gold. What you leave behind matters. What you're leaving to your kids, what you're leaving to your grandkids, what you're leaving to your neighbors and to your friends and to those who are attending church with you on a regular, it matters and you're leaving something behind. Good or bad, good or bad, it's up to you. Do you know who I feel, how, how many has ever been to a parade before? Let me see your hand. You ever been to a parade? You know who I feel sorry for? Whoever's behind the horses, right? Because something's getting left behind. It just happens. And, and I, I was kind of thinking about this idea this week of how we leave something behind, good or bad, it's up to us. And that, that wake that you see a picture of here, that wake, it extends way beyond. It's not just a straight line behind the boat. It, it reaches places that that boat didn't even go itself. Your wake reaches much further than, than just the places you've been. It, it, it goes further than the areas that you've stepped into yourself. It's the wake that we're leaving behind. It's the legacy that we leave behind. There's a scripture. It's, it's, it's in the Gospels. It's, it's found in, in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I, Jesus understood this idea of a wake because he's telling the disciples in John chapter 14, he said, the one who believes in me, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then he talks about the wake. 
He says, the one who believes in me will, that comes after me, the one who follows me, he will do the works that I do. Now, we know Jesus believed in this concept because he initially calls the disciples to follow him. And as they begin following him, he begins talking about the wake. And he says, those who follow me, they're going to do the things that I have done, but they're also going to do greater things. In other words, they're going to reach areas I've not been able to reach. They're going to do things I've not been able to do. They're going to see things I've not been able to see, and it's going to reach the world. Isn't it amazing how the gospel started with Jesus? And he got these 12 disciples, and then and it was just like a wake. It just kept trickling and rippling and trickling and rippling, and eventually it reaches the entire world, and we're sitting here in church today because of someone somewhere heard the gospel and shared it with us. And here we stand today. And I was just thinking a little bit about that this week and, and the people who, who came before me and, and, and told me the truth, and I got to hear it. And I've been fortunate. I got to hear the truth as a young person. And Some of you are older. Some of you have been through things that, you know, you, I mean, you don't even want to talk about them. You've been through them before you ever came to the Lord and, and how God has changed us. We've heard those stories. And it, and it just reminds me to give thanks Thanks to those people who shared with us, who told us, who, who gave us the truth. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be recognizing one of our Sunday school teachers that's been teaching for decades and decades and, and just poured her life out for kids. And how many children heard the gospel because of this person? It's the wake. It's the wake. You, you share with people, and you don't even know yourself where that wake ends up. It just goes and goes, and who knows whose lives we're touching 20 years from now because of what we're doing today. And I just wanted to take a few minutes this morning to honor a couple people who have, who have poured into my life. And, and I think we ought to honor people. Do you think we ought to honor people? I mean, I know we're, we worship God, but we honor people. Right? We praise God, but we honor, we honor people and, and what they've done in our lives. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, take the lead in honoring one another. That's what Paul's, Paul said. Take the lead. Take time to honor one another. First Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he says, give double honor to those who are good leaders. Give double honor to those who work hard at preaching and teaching. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Leviticus chapter 19, we know this. It says, rise in the presence of the elderly. Rise in the presence of those who are older. Rise in the presence of those who have come before us and, and, and those who are elderly and honor the old. That's what the Bible says. To honor those who have come before us and have been there and, and have made it. We need to honor those. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, uh, we, uh, we should know this one. Honor your father and your mother. Bring honor. And this morning I want, I want to honor a couple people who fit the bill for every one of those things on that list. And it's my parents. And some of you may have never met my parents, but I'm going to ask them to come. I want you to give a huge Frisco welcome. I've never done this in my life. I want you to give a huge Frisco welcome to my mom and dad, Everett and Betty Snyder. Come on, stand to your feet with me this morning if you would. Yeah, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for that. So I'm doing something today. I'm doing something today I've never done in my life. I'm going to interview 
my parents. <laughs> and, and, and it's going to get real here in just a minute, all right? And uh, I'm asking the questions, not them this time. I remember when I was a teenager, they'd set me down and ask me questions. Well, now I get to ask them questions. And it's going to get real personal, just like they would have when I was a teenager. No, it's not. But I, I did want to honor them because of the wake that they left. They left the wake that touched my life. And they left a wake that's touched hundreds and hundreds of lives uh, following after them. Uh, and, and I think probably the first question I should ask probably my mom is, what was it like raising the perfect child? Uh, you know, oh, overall. My. Oh, my, oh, and my. take your time answering that question. It, no. It's over. <laughs> if I were to describe if I were to describe my parents, I would describe them as consistent. I would describe them as persistent. Uh, I would describe them as God lovers. Because they're God lovers, they're people lovers. I would describe them as um, giving and, and loyal, not only to people and not only to the church, but to each other. Uh, I would describe them as generous. Uh, I've seen them give things when they didn't have it to give. Uh, when you're raised in a home, you see things. And a lot of times people don't see it. No, no one else saw these things. But I would see it because I would be there. I'd hear them talking about it, or I'd see them give away cars. I don't. I'm, I want to brag about them for a minute. I've seen them give away multiple, multiple cars. I've seen them write checks to people, and I went, "They don't deserve a check." <laughs> That's a true story. More than once, probably to me. Uh, I've seen them give when they didn't have to give, and do when they didn't have to do. Uh, I, I would describe them as hospitable. If you've ever been to their house, and a few of you have, you're going to be treated like royalty every time you show up because it's a gift of hospitality that they have. I would describe them as apostolic, meaning they raise up people beneath them. They bring people along. They raise them up. They, they teach them how to go teach. They, they show them how to go minister, and they've done that for years. Uh, I've, uh, I would describe them as compassionate. Like I said, they see needs in people's lives. I'm just going to, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't give them a dollar and they're giving them, you know, and helping them in, in many ways. I'd I would describe both of them as anointed. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, anointing by, by, uh, by the callings of God on their life. You can see that anointing. So I wanted to give them an opportunity this morning just to share uh, a bit of their story. Uh, if you don't know, and some of you have no idea who these two people are, if you don't know, uh, they raised me from birth, my sister as well, and uh, felt called into the ministry at a young age and have been faithful and committed to that ministry ever since. And uh, I, I just wanted them to share a little bit of their story because I want you to hear it. I want you to hear this this story. So uh, this is my father Everett and Betty, and uh, I, I've, I wanted to start just with you guys sharing a little bit about how you ever came to the Lord. It's a, it's a good story. And uh, so, Dad, you were 16? 17. 17. 
Sarah, you were in a revival, a tent revival. And, and if you don't know what a tent revival is, years ago, and I, you could, they still do, people still do it today, but years ago it was a big thing. They'd, they'd put up tents, these big tents, big as a sanctuary, put, put up big tents and, and do an evangelistic outreach, and, and, and evangelists would uh, come into town, set that up, and reach communities of people. And it's really how, how my, my father actually got saved when he was 17. Share that story, Dad. Yep. Okay, I'm from West Virginia originally, but uh, God moved me as a 16-year-old kid out of high school to the state of Illinois to hear the gospel for the first time in my life, the full gospel. And when I was 17 years old, I got saved in May of 1959. Uh, in August of 1959, I had the privilege to go to Texas to a camp meeting where I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and uh, I guess was called to preach in that same meeting and I started preaching believe it or not in October I didn't know much but I preached what I knew and uh, I knew Jesus and I'd talk about him so that my ministry actually began up in the state of Illinois and a little storefront church there, and uh, I progressed from there to back to Texas and back to West Virginia, and uh, like I said, I didn't know much, but I kept preaching, and uh, God anointed me to, to preach his word, and I just continued on. Now, uh, a year or two after that, uh, about 1961, I think, 60, 61, I was in the city, well, the city, the place <laughs> of Rockport where we live now, and uh, the little church down below was having a revival. So I went down, I was this teenager, and sat down in the back with some guys and was talking to them. I looked up in the section there in the front, and I seen a beautiful blonde-headed girl wearing a black dress, which I've never forgotten. And uh, I said to them guys, who who is that girl up there? And the guy spoke up and said, that's my sister. You want to meet her? I said, yes, I do. So <laughs> anyhow, I met uh, Betty in church, and we got acquainted. And uh, that's my little story. Now she can tell you hers. Yeah. Oh, uh, wait, share, share, Dad, when you got saved, what happened with with, uh, with uh, the, the evangelist and how he was going to. It wasn't really a salvation. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Some of you, the, the man that I got saved on, there was some down the road. Granby, Missouri, originally down in that area, but he was in Texas. But he was in Illinois doing these tent revivals. And uh, I lived with my aunt and uncle, and they went to church all the time. And so on this Sunday afternoon, all week they had announced they're going to have a healing service on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. So people brought in the sick folks and wheelchairs and all that. And I was there along with four or five other young guys in that meeting on Sunday afternoon. I'll never forget what the evangelist said as he stood up that day. He said, the greatest miracle that God can do is not to heal your body, but to save your soul. And he never preached one word on divine healing, but he preached a message on salvation. He gives the invitation. And me and two or three of these guys stepped out of our pew and went to the altar. 
and got saved. Now, they say things went on that I did not see, but uh, they told them anyway. Somebody come in the back of the congregation dressed up in khaki pants and shirt. Nobody had ever seen this person before. Didn't know who he was. And the old evangelist told me, said, when he gives the altar call, this guy walked up at our row and held out his hand till we come out and come on up to the altar with us. Church was over. That guy disappeared. Nobody ever seen him after that. That old preacher would say to me, it took an angel to help you get saved. Well, if it did, thank God for angels. But anyway, that's my, yeah. one of the greatest days of my life. I'm going to make one more step here. Um, service over, I started to walk out of the tent and I, I, was a, I was a mean little joker only though I was young. And I heard this voice that I never had heard in my life. And it said to me, how do you know you're saved? I wonder where that comes from. I don't know, you know. How do I know? And just like that voice, and it was a voice, I heard it plain in my life. Another voice spoke to me completely different. And he said, son, thy sins are forgiven thee. And I walked out of that place with an assurance that I've never lost. Okay. Yeah. So it, so it took an angel for my dad to get saved. So what did it take, Mom, for you to get saved? Who was preaching that service? Meeting your father. What <laughs> made it. <laughs> I was saved under his ministry. And he's been telling me what to do ever since. And he told me what to do when I sit down here. Hold the mic close to my mouth. <laughs> Hi, Sydney. <laughs> um, I, uh, this is true. Everett was in the, I was in the school in some, up in Marietta, Ohio. And I came in uh, that evening, and there was a tent meeting set up in our community. Never had I saw a tent meeting before, never heard of it before. So we decided we'd go to the tent meeting because my brother invited me to go. So we went to the tent meeting, and sure enough, we kept going back to the tent meeting. I don't know if I, I probably had to go back into school and come back because that tent meeting lasted a while, didn't it? Mm -hmm. So needless to say, I gave my heart to the Lord under the tent meeting, under this man's ministry. So it was precious, and I loved it, loved the Lord, loved the Lord ever since, and he's been so good to me. We were very, very young, very young. So, so you guys get saved, right, at a young age. Dad starts preaching. He was already preaching. He was preaching. I married a preacher. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so he's preaching as, as seven, get this in your mind for a second. 17 years old, and you're preaching, the preaching right? By 18 years old, you're setting up tents pre preaching. I can't even imagine. I can't even get this. I wouldn't even tell an 18-year-old to do this. Uh, you're, you're now setting up tents doing revivals and preaching revivals. You go to Illinois to have a, a tent revival, and, and a church is birthed out of that. That was in 19, 1961. Uh, can you imagine? You was 20, 19 years old? 19. 19 years old. 
has a revival. A church is birthed out of this revival in Illinois. And that church is still there in Edgewood, Illinois, uh, pastoring, pastored by some friends of ours, great friends of ours, uh, and still going strong. That church is doing well. And then you go to West Virginia to have a revival, which is about the same time period where my, my mom finally gave her heart to the Lord. We don't know. We don't know for a fact she's saved, but we think she might be. Uh, you know, we, we, we'll see one day. But uh, it gives her heart to the Lord in, in that revival. And then... Uh, you have a tent revival there that lasts a few weeks, and the church is birthed out of it, right? And that's in a little town called Rockport, West Virginia, which is where my mother's from. That that revival lasted what? All summer. All summer long, <laughs> yeah. and uh, out of that was birthed the church. And uh, yeah, tell us what took place there. How did that come about? Getting getting started. Church, sure, yeah. In West Virginia? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I had the meetings first in Illinois for 30 days and immediately uh, left there and came to Rockport because my parents had moved up to that area where my where Betty was born and raised. But uh, anyhow, we set the tent up and uh, had two weeks of meeting and had a lot of people come. A lot of young people came. Uh, young people draw young people. Yes. Old folks draw old folks. But anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, we had some great meetings there. We've had to tent up in two or three different places. But uh, enough people got saved uh, and come out of some other uh, churches that didn't have whatever going on. But uh, they wanted to build. We need a church. We need a church. Well, there was no buildings to rent, no place to go. They said, we want. A, we need a church. I said, we only have two problems. I don't have land or money. And uh, that's the way it was. But anyhow, my wife's grandmother had uh, quite a bit of land, and she said, you just take whatever you want and uh, build a church. So we did that the next spring in uh, 1962. But that time, we had fallen terribly in love. Wonderful it was, still is. Uh, but anyhow, we got engaged on Christmas. But that next spring, we started the project to build a church, a very small church. And uh, as soon as we got the building built, we got married inside of it, June the 23rd, 1962. And lived happily uh, most of the time, ever after. So, <laughs> so you built a huge cathedral yes. in uh, Rockport, West Virginia, which is in the middle of nowhere, by the way. Now they built a little block building. This is crazy. This is crazy. I want you to hear this from them. I've told some of you this before. They they feel called to the ministry. They're 20 years old, 19. They have a revival. The church is birthed out of this revival. They have a few families that's gathering. Going, we want to. They build a church. And the first thing that happened in the building was got married. They got married. That was the first thing that happened in the building. I had to ask this the other day. Got married on a Saturday. <laughs> first thing that happened at church, got married on Saturday. Guess what they did Sunday morning? Went to church. Had church service. Forget the, forget the honeymoon, right? right. And uh, straight into church. That just blows my mind. Uh, <laughs> straight into the church service on Sunday morning. And that was, that was in 1962. 
1962, now, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was, 1962, they started this ministry. 2023, he is, they are still pastoring that exact same church. It is the longest tenured pastors that I have ever met that I, th that I know of. They have stayed there and stayed there and stayed there. When I said they are consistent and persistent, that's what I'm saying. When you stay somewhere that long pastoring the same church and see it grow from this small little block building to they've got a beautiful building now and, and, and a much larger church, but uh, to grow from that little group of people, it's the wake. It's the wake that I was talking about. It touches people along the way. It, whatever we, wherever we go, it there's this wake that follows us, and it touches lives, and it touches hearts, and it touches people, and and they just stuck with it. I guess. I mean, I was asking my dad because I, I wanted to ask some of these questions before we we got up here, and I knew some of these answers. But he said from 1961 to 1970, uh, mm -hmm. working full time, right? Uh, some of those years at a plant. Yeah. in West Virginia, working full-time, wanting to be in full-time ministry. Correct. Just couldn't do it. And, and some of you may have been there at times when you knew God was calling you and you're just like, I want to so bad, but it's just not, I'm not able to right now or it's not, it wasn't the time. Truth is, if you would have just quit and went, full-time ministry in 64, you probably would have starved to death <laughs> probably. <laughs> or, or something because it wasn't time. That's right. But then in 1970, you can share that. But Yeah. I've been working at a plant for three years, I, but all these years I still traveled a lot and did a lot of meetings different places even though I was working. Sometimes I'd take off on Friday Drive to Illinois on Friday, have church Friday night, Saturday night. Drive back home Saturday night and have church Sunday. We was young. We did a lot of things like that. And we always managed to get off work. I quit a couple times to, to go to camp meetings that I felt was real important to us. But in the midst of all of that, God took care of us. Until uh, 19, and our church grew. I'm going to share something else here. Uh, our church was a small building. Uh, it might have held 100 people. But uh, we kept growing and we built on two or three different directions and built up and didn't have a parking lot, didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But prior to this great growth, one New Year's night, Eve night, uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, if you will trust me, by Easter, the church will double in size. Well, I just... I was young, didn't know any better, I guess. I just stood up and told the people that night. The Lord just told me if we'd believe him and trust him, our church would double by Easter. But it almost tripled in that little span of time. On that Easter Sunday, we had people standing up inside, all the overflows, all the entranceway, packed out with people, and uh, God started moving in a wonderful way. And... Uh, he continued to move. People, it was amazing to me. People would come to church on Sunday morning, and on the way out, they'd say, "Would it be okay if we come back to church here?" I said, "Well, yes, it would be." And uh, but anyway, 
this tremendous move of God that lasted uh, quite a long time. And eventually, of course, we during that span of time, a lot of great things happened. I think you won't hurt you. I shared this the other night with a few of you people, uh, but we had a lot of miraculous things that happened. I've always preached divine healing, and when you go into a community and it's never heard, uh, they think you're a weirdo. And then when they find out that you believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, you're two weirdos all in the same body. <laughs> but anyway, some people got saved and they loved God. They wanted to serve God. And here's the story about one of the ladies, and I want my wife to tell it. Some of her family comes here to church, right, Shirley? Brian Shirley's. Harris. Okay. Brian Harris's grandmother. Uh, Brian Harris's grandmother uh, became very sick. She was. She was. She had asthma. She had just had a child, and she lived down in the country. Her husband had died at that time. She lived in the country, and she just had this baby. Well. She had asthma severely, severely bad. I never, never knew anyone to have asthma before. But she was staying with her um, I, sister, I guess it was, and they burned wood heat. And she, that was something she was allergic to, I guess, because she was so terribly, terribly sick. So we invited her to come with her children. She had three children and a baby to stay with us. We lived in a little house in Rockport. So when she came, we brought her to our house and she was so bad and the baby was crying all the time and I was afraid to feed, overfeed it because I, I didn't know anything about that. But anyway, we had the children and we had Shirley very, very sick. When I say sick, very, very sick. So we were praying and believing God. We believed in miracles. I still believe in miracles. I still believe that God's a healer. I still believe everything that we stood for right then. So we, we were praying for her and, and believing with her. And one day we went into the room. Well, we, we stayed in a room pretty much off and on. We went into the room and Everett said to her, Shirley, if you want to trust God, we'll trust God. But if you want to go to the hospital because she had no money, we will pay. And we had no money. But we will pay for uh, an ambulance or whatever it takes for you to go to the hospital. And her words were so sweet. She said, Pastor, I think she called you Everett. She said, there's not a doctor that can heal me. I need healing from God. And I want to trust him to heal me. Well, what do you think that did? That sparked our faith in God. She was believing God. I mean, I clung on top of that bed and we began to pray. We started praying for her and believing God. And I'm going to tell you, God delivered her. Totally, totally delivered her that day. And I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful that I heard the gospel. The true gospel, the gospel that will do something for you, you know, change your life. It'll just change your life, your whole thinking, your whole being. I have never, ever, ever regretted serving the Lord. I've never felt like I've ever missed anything in serving the Lord at a very young age. Never, 
Never have I felt, and I'll tell you something else. I've never known, I've never wanted any other life. You know, I hear people say, well, I don't, I don't know why they backslide. Why would they, what would they go to? Anyway, I never wanted, wanted anything. That doesn't make me super spiritual. It just makes me, I love the Lord. I love him. I love the Lord. Amen. Amen. We, we, and, and I'm going to have them share a couple of stories in just a moment. But in, in 80, mid 80s, uh, mom and dad, they come out this direction to go to a youth camp, which is something we didn't, I've never even heard of before as a kid. Out where we lived in West Virginia, as far as I know, no one had youth camps. I, I didn't, I've never heard of one. And, and uh, they came out to Baxter Springs, Kansas, of all places and brought some students to a youth camp. And then they came back and went, we've got to start a youth camp. We have to reach the next generation, and we need to do this by way of camps. About 85, 86, they started. They just built a brand-new church. And I know that I can't imagine how busy you were. But they just started brand build a brand-new church. They, they uh, uh, start a youth camp in about 85 or 86 that has been still going strong today uh, and have reached thousands, thousands of students uh, through those camps that they have every year. And uh, the, a couple of years ago, mom and dad finally, they're 80. Well, I shouldn't even tell you, you're, tell, tell their age, I guess. But they're, okay. they're over 80. And uh, they, a couple of years ago, they finally said, I think we're going to have to turn the youth camps over. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, about 20 years ago. But... Uh, <laughs> Finally, turned the youth camps over, and and it's still going strong. Again, it's the wake. It's the wake. What, what God put in their spirit, and the, they started down, and they're going through the water, and it's just leaving this wake that ripples over and touches people and touches lives. And and they started a youth camp, and they a few years later they said, "Oh God, I, we don't have time to get into all of it, but God dropped a piece of property into their laps of farm." And God just gave Dad a vision one day. I, he was telling me about it. He does. I think he forgets, but I happened to be sitting at that table when he was talking. I didn't tell you that the other day, but sitting at that table when he was saying, these guys came up. And I'm going to tell your story because I can tell it quick. But these guys came up, and they said, we have this property that we would give to you if you would use it. And while someone's preaching, God just started giving the layout for that property for a campground. He just started writing it down on a piece of paper and drawing it out. And he sat down with them and he said, here's what God gave me. We can build that. And they they got behind him and, and these churches worked together and dad led it. And they built a campground. It's where they still have camp meetings. They still have adult camp meetings. They have youth camp meetings there still. And it's all right there in that same area of West Virginia, beautiful area. And we're going to be going out there, by the way, in July for their adult camping, if yes, you want to go, come on, come on. Uh, you would really, really enjoy it. It's great to take kids, and they have a good time as well. So that'll be in July. We'll talk more about that later. But uh, a campground was birthed and built. And then I wanted him to share the story, but uh, you, we were just talking about overcoming children and the work we do in Kenya. Again, the ripple effect, the wake. That didn't start with us. That didn't really start with us. It actually, back in about 91, I believe it was, uh, Dad met a man named Japheth from Kenya at a, at a, at a revival that they were having, uh, an outreach. And um, 
Japheth begged dad to come and help, help them. And he went over. This was in 91, been ministering with them. And, and, but what's funny about this story is, and I wanted, wanted you to share that story about okay. back when you were younger. Okay. It, it, so, there's something that leads to this that is interesting to me. Before we were married, must have been about 61, didn't have a church, and so a uh, church in Parkerburg was having, uh, that's probably just record church, I guess. On Sunday night, we, we heard the guy preach on the radio and sing, and so we decided to go in there. And we're in the service, sitting back in the congregation, and, and uh, the pastor gets through singing, and he says, I see a vision. In this vision, it was a long train filled with African folks on train track. And he said, I see a guy boarding that train. He said, I think he's going to go to Africa to preach. Well, I'm just sitting back there with my mouth open, you know. I don't know who he's talking about. But he said to me, he knew my name, he said, Brother Snyder, would you come up here, please? So I walked up, and he whispered in my ear. Nobody else heard it. He said, I seen you getting on that train. Would you be willing to go and preach to the Africans? I said, I'll go anywhere. God wants me to go. Well, it was about 35 years later. Yes. I went home with Jay from Africa. He asked me, would you come and help? I said, no, I'm not going to Africa. Thanks anyway. The next year he comes back and said, we need you. And boys like the Macedonian call, you know, yeah. come over and help us. So I started going and uh, I don't know, I've made several trips to Africa and taken quite a few people over there. And of course, Matt and Stephanie and their uh, kids and many people they know started uh, the Overcoming Children uh, right out of that same group of people. In Kekamega, Kenya. In fact, the bishop was over at uh, a convention we had just a few weeks ago. And uh, we have supported and still do uh, 40 or 45 of their local pastors and teachers. Uh, most of our work in Africa was to try to help leaders, encourage pastors, encourage leaders to try to get them uh, up to a new level where they could help their people. So it's been a great experience. Now, my wife has never got brave enough yet <laughs> to take a trip to Africa. But in our life, I don't know how much time we got, man. Uh, in our life, you know, growing up as a kid, I didn't have much opportunity, really. But I dreamed about places. Uh, didn't think I'd ever go, probably. But anyway, in 1981, we was having a area-wide meeting in Rockport, and Bill Sparks, some of you people know, knew Billy and Patsy uh, from Rock, uh, there's from Gauls, Texas. But anyhow, Billy come up and had this meeting for us about 10 nights, and he mentioned, we're going go to we're gonna go to Israel in a month or so. And he said, would you like to go? And I said, well, yes, I'd like to go, naturally. And Bill, if you don't know Bill, you've missed something, but he's going now. But anyhow, Bill said, I'm going to raise you some money tonight. So during that meeting, uh, he encouraged people to give enough. Well, didn't give enough, but to get us a start, to getting ready to go uh, with him and Patsy and a bunch of folks to Israel. 
So we got the money and went. 1981, uh, we went to Jordan and Israel and Egypt. and had a great time. And we come back home and decided we'd start taking groups of people to Israel. So uh, from that, we made about, my wife says, eight trips. I don't know, six or seven or eight. I don't know. Trips back to Israel and the Holy Land again, taking a lot of people with us. A lot of people have been blessed. Our kids, my mom, a lot of our church people have went. And we've had uh, great times being in Israel. Still need to go back, but I don't know if I like it again or not. But anyhow. Yeah. That's it for so I wanted to I wanted to take just a moment for them to share honestly their story, but Mom shared the story of some of you don't know this, but Brian, who was on staff here at our church for several years as our youth pastor, the story my mother was talking about earlier about the lady with asthma that was Brian's grandmother that she was talking about, who uh, who was God just miraculously healed. If you're in the ministry. And, and you do this long enough, and you serve, you don't have to be in the ministry. If you serve the Lord long enough, and you're a believer, and you're spirit-filled, you're going to see some things over the years. You're going to, you should see the miraculous. You should see God moving in people's lives. Now, I, I asked Dad, I said, hey, I want to share a story or two, just quickly, just of a move of God, where God just moved and did the miraculous Without any questions asked, it's what happened. Uh, and I know you guys have seen a lot of stories and, and a lot of things, but uh, sh share one of those with us. Well, I share this story pretty often when I have the opportunity. I was down here in Missouri helping in a camp meeting. Oh, geez, I don't know when that was. Years ago. <laughs> and uh, we'd, help, we'd had meetings up in Illinois off and on over the years, and the Lord kept impressing me. Uh, to go back to a certain town and put the tent up and have meetings. Well, the local man was down here, and I asked him, I said, well, I've, you know, how about coming back up there? Well, he didn't know. Boy, a couple more days went by, and the Lord pressed that on my heart real strong. And he said, well, if that's what you feel like doing, I said, I feel like that's what we need to do. So we got ready to, uh, to go to his place and put up a tent. In that same area and community, was a lady that I had known ever since I become a Christian. What I didn't know was she had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And she'd prayed and sought the Lord. And she said, God told me to pray every hour on the hour. And I know she did that because she was a praying woman and a great Christian. Well, we went up in that area, set the tent up, and... Uh, the meeting started. I don't remember now if it was the first night or second night. But anyhow, I started preaching, and the power and the glory of God filled that tent. And you, I couldn't do a thing. It just melts you to the ground. And I, I said, let's come and pray. And every person, I marveled at unsaved people. Every person in that tent got on their knees and begin to worship and praise and sing and seek God. Or that outpouring of his glory in that meeting. And when things kind of settled down, this lady I'm talking about was sitting over about here. She began to, I don't know if she's crying out or what, how it come about, but she said, did you see him? Did you see him? People said, see who? We didn't see nobody. She said, the Lord come. 
through that tent wall, walked over to me, laid his hands on me. Breast cancer died, never to live again. That's one of, the, one of the great supernatural visitations. It had nothing to do with preachers. It had to do with the glory of God coming down and ministering to people. Nobody can say, I did it. No, he did it. He gets the glory and the praise and the honor. Hallelujah. Amen. Tell us, tell us the story about uh, Louis Armstrong. Okay. we got a guy in our church, been, him and his wife, uh, well, that was a long time. We was way back in the old building. They lived, moved in. The, well, they lived in the community. We didn't know them. They showed up at church. And uh, she had went to a Baptist church and raised it all of her life. Huh? Yeah, I'm going to get into that. Anyway. <laughs> takes a while. takes a while. But anyway, in her heart, in her heart, she was crying out, I want the truth. I want to know truth. I don't feel like, but anyhow, God, they come to our church. And, well, Lewis was her husband. Back many years ago now, he was a veteran and had worked in heating and air and different businesses. But he, all of a sudden, he come down with a severe, severe headache. He went to all the local doctors. He went to the VA, trying to find out what's causing this terrible headache in his head. They never could find out what the problem was. And finally, I think the doctor said, you, you know, you're just, you're a little nutty. You don't have anything wrong with you. He couldn't work. He gained weight. He was just out of commission. One night on Wednesday night, uh, at that time we always had prayer meeting back before uh, service. And uh, all day Wednesday I was waiting on God and he'd give me nothing to speak on that. Nothing. And I'm back in that prayer meeting saying, Lord, I've got to have, what am I going to do tonight? You know, if you're a preacher and you don't have anything, you're, what do you do? And the Lord spoke to me, which he has a few times in my life. And he said, when the singing is over, I want you to step over in the aisle of the church right there. And ask everybody that's sick and has a need to come over there where you're at. And we're all going to pray for them. Well, quite a few people came to get prayed for. The last guy that come across there was Louis. I said, Louis, what's going on? He said, now you listen carefully. Louis said, I cannot take this anymore. I've gone as far as I can go. And I haven't found any way to get relief. I said, God knows. God knows if you've gone as far as you can go. And he can do something about it. Well, we started to pray. And I'm not a guy that has a lot of visions, but occasionally I do. We started praying for him. And I seen in the back of his head, right under the back part of his skull, a little thing in there. It looked like a, about the size of a green pea. Right under the back edge of his skull. I didn't say anything to him or anybody else. I said, God, if that's his problem, you can remove that, dissolve that, take care of that so he can be free. We dismissed church. Everybody went home. Next morning, before I got my pants on, somebody's knocking on my door. Bang, 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 bang. Well, I opened up the door, and here stands Louis, standing up straight as a gouge. I said, well, Lou, what are you doing? 
He said, I, my headache's gone. I'm going to town and get me a job. Yeah. And he's never had a headache since. And that's been, it lasted for him 10 months. 10 months of a headache. But God healed him that night. So he's still doing miracles. Amen? Yeah. I just wanted to share that story because how many believes God still does the miraculous? Yes, he does. I mean, he still heals people. He still sets people free and delivers people. And, and we're going to close with this. I, the way we started was I asked my dad to share his salvation story. And the old preacher said something like this. The greatest miracle of all is the miracle of Jesus taking our sins away. That's the greatest miracle of all. Greater than the blind seeing or the lame walking, it is Jesus saving us and changing us and taking the old spirit out and giving us a new spirit, that born-again born experience. That's the greatest miracle of all. The fact that God can take, and some of us can attest to this setting in this, in this very room, the fact that God can take us out of the depth of sin and the mess that we were in and giving us a new life. And I want to share that story you just told me. This was just recently, yeah. but of a man in their church. And, yeah. and we're going to close with this this, this morning. Yeah, just uh, a few months ago now, a man that I'd never seen before came to our church. Now, he had the lady, well, they had lived together for 12 years, not married. She had helped raise his three daughters. He was a veteran. I think he was a sharp shooting sniper, I think that's what he was, in Iraq. But anyway, I didn't know him. But he had worked with one of the guys out of our church. And here's the ripple effect again. That guy from our church, he worked for him, and he kept witnessing to him, talking to him about the Lord. But he finally came to church and sat on the back row, him and his lady, head down, cap still on, head almost down, to his knees and the ushers told me said we watched him and as the preaching went along the service went along he he come a little further up yeah. his buddy had witnessed to him the day before but the story of the prodigal son my message that day had nothing to do with the prodigal son but I've been preaching long enough to know when the Holy Spirit starts leading you somewhere that's where you go so I got off of my text and went into the story of the prodigal son. And uh, that done something in his heart. He said, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew something was, could happen in my life. Well, he didn't respond to the altar, but after the church service was over, my associate pastor took him and his girlfriend uh, back in the office. We talked to them, prayed with them. And as his story went on, Later, he told me, he said, I was going to that day and blow my brains out. I'd already settled it. That's what I was going to do because life was not worth living. My oldest daughter had gone out and went astray. Family was falling apart. No hope. Children, no hope. No future. I'm going to go down on the backside of my place and end my life. But God come to the rescue. And God turned that guy's life around. It wasn't but a week or so till I think it was her, his girlfriend, if you will. She said, we want to get married. 
I said, wonderful, wonderful. She wanted to get married at our church camp. She wanted be, me to be her best man. I said, I can, I can do that. Amen. So they stayed. She told me, said, we're, we're living in the same house, but we're not living together no more till we get married. And I said, boy, that's, you, you're getting places now, you know. You mean business. And uh, so anyhow, uh, they got saved. They got baptized. And uh, he kept asking for prayer for this oldest daughter because she had went, went astray. And uh, just a few weeks ago now, uh, he come to church. He always has a testimony. He come to church and said, man, things was good. said, my daughter hadn't called me for months, called me. And she had had a new baby. And she said, Dad, I need to come home. <laughs> he was a shout in victory. Well, she did. She come home, brought his first little grandchild. And uh, beautiful child. yeah, beautiful child. Jackson's his name. But she only come three or four services till she got saved. We baptized her just a few weeks ago in water. Oh, Max jumping up and down with joy. Two younger girls who got fit right into youth group, serving the Lord. His wife and him are working in the church, and she's working over at camps and just doing a lot of things. But God forgave their sin, changed their past, and gives them a new life. I want to emphasize that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a new life that comes into any person's heart who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God has raised him from the dead and is willing to believe that in his heart and make that confession with his mouth. He shall be saved. You may be here this morning carrying some kind of a burden of sin. Well, I see an awful lot of people in our world today that are hopeless. They're on the streets. They're in attic houses. They're in jails. Hopeless. We have another lady in our church, very young, has four kids just recently. Her husband left and sued her for a divorce. But I see people, and you do too, their lives are shot. What, they don't know what to do, they don't know which way to go. But somehow in the middle of all of that, there's still an answer. There's still a hope. There's still a way out. And uh, God can touch your life this morning, wherever you may be. That's all I'm going to say about it. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. I wanted to close with that story because some of us may be here this morning and we're just going, I don't know. It seems like it's hopeless. I don't know. I, I can't seem to get through this. I can't seem to get over this. Maybe some of us came to this place this morning going, I don't I." If I had my way, I'd just go home and end it all. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're just here today and you don't even know how you got here today and why you're here. And maybe it's for this moment because God's calling you. 
And you know the one thing about life and serving the Lord is you can look around and you go, I just I don't know if I can ever be like these people. And and the crazy thing about life is when it comes to serving the Lord, we all come to the Lord the same way. We all come to God the same path. It doesn't matter if if you're the worst of the worst and if you're a terrible drug addict or maybe you're an alcoholic or an abuser or maybe you've been abused or maybe you've been through a lot. Maybe you've been raised in a home that's a Christian home. It doesn't even matter. We all come to God the same way. The path to, to, to God all leads through Jesus. It doesn't matter where you've come from. God doesn't even look at us and he doesn't even really care what you've come through. Now, he's aware of it and he cares for you, but there's never been anything so dark that he can't forgive. There's never been anything so bad that he can't accept. And, and really, we all come to God the same way. And really, in, in closing this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're here and you're going, wow, I need the Lord. I need God in my life. I'm not serving him, and I need him this morning. I want to ask you just do me a favor. We, I want to ask you to bow your head. We don't do this all the time, but I want to ask you to bow your head right where you're standing all across the room this morning. And if you're here this morning, you're going, that's me today. I need the Lord in my life. What they were talking about, I need that. The hope they're talking about, I need. I, I need him. I need him to become my God. I need him to forgive me for what I've done. I need a new start. I need a new beginning. That's what God offers is a brand new beginning, regardless of where you've been and what you've going through in the life that you've lived, he offers you a new beginning today. And it's your choice. It's your choice. You can actually begin leaving a different kind of wake behind you. And it can start today. You can begin leaving a different kind of ripple behind you. And it can start today. It can start today. How many of us this morning can say, yeah, that's that's me. I, I need... I need someone to pray with me. I need the Lord this morning. How many can say, yeah, that's me? Just want to give you an opportunity this morning. How, how, many of us, how many of us can say this? I need a miracle in my life. We just heard stories of miracles. I need a miracle in my life. Maybe it's in my body. Maybe it's in my family. But I need a miracle in my life. And I just need God to do it. How many of us can say, yeah, I, I, I am standing in need of a miracle today? Yeah. Lift your hands up real high, real quick. We just want to pray with you today. How many believes that we serve a God who does the miracles? Like he is a miraculous, moving, working God. Amen. And we just want to pray a prayer of faith this morning. We want to pray not just for you. We want to pray with you. Because we know where two or three are gathered and we agree together, there God's going to move. Amen? Hallelujah. If you need a miracle, real quick, just lift your hands. You, you can lift your high, heads up real quick now. But if you're in need of a miracle, just lift your hand up real high, right where you're standing. I want you to do me a favor, church. I want you to look around and find somebody. Find someone who's got their hand up, and I just want you to pray with them. If you're a believer, just find someone who's got their hand up, and I want you to pray with them this morning. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in, the, in praying by faith. And we just want you to pray together this morning. Hallelujah. 
God, we know you're a miracle-working God. Lord, we know you're a miracle-working God. We know you're a healer. God, we know you're a provider. God, we know you're able. God, we know, Lord, according to your word, you're able to do abundantly above all that we can ever ask or dream of. And God, we speak by faith right now in Jesus' name. God, we speak by faith. And we trust in your word. We trust in who you are. And God, we declare, God, miracles in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, reach down right now and touch. Reach down and heal. Lord, in the name of Jesus. And God, we thank you for it. God, in these families that we need miracles in, God, do the miraculous. God, we're asking you. It's out of our hands. It's too big for us. We can't do it ourselves, but God, we need you. We need you to move. We need you to do what you do. Be who you are. God, in our midst today. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for doing it. I thank you for doing it. And I thank you for healing our bodies. I thank you for setting us free. I thank you for making our path straight. I thank you, God, for providing when we saw no provision. God, I thank you. And God, I, our praise is to you. Our praise is to you. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning you're the end. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're our everything this morning. You're our healer and our deliverer and our provider and our keeper. You're the good shepherd and you're the great shepherd. And Lord, we just look to you this morning and we thank you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Man, we on there? Yep. Uh, before we go, I just want to say to the church here, we appreciate so much your support of Matt and Stephanie, their children, and uh, we've come we've come all the way down here to see them a little, but to see these great grandkids of ours. Cameron's got little Wrigley right over there. Hold Wrigley up so some people hadn't seen him. Well, who you got? <laughs> you trade kids on me here, didn't you? Anyway, you, you've got Paxton, right? That's that's the McKenzie's. Now here's the other one. Here's Cameron's and uh, Sydney's this morning. Little Wrigley. Amen. Now, you all can look at him, but my wife's got him now, so you have to do it later, okay? <laughs> Amen. It's been a joy being with you this morning, and God bless you very much. Yeah. Amen. Didn't you enjoy that today? Yeah. Since, since, we started, uh, since we've started having kids and grandkids, they don't act like we exist anymore and uh, don't even know we're around. Uh, they don't even call us to come out here anymore. They call them like, hey, we're coming out. But no, we're so glad to have them with us this morning. I just want them to share some of the stories that they've seen. There's a lot more stories. I wish we had time to hear them. But uh, just of what God has done. And I just believe God's big God. And he's a good God and he loves you. And he loves me. Amen. And we're leaving a wake behind us. 
We're leaving a wake. Let's leave a wake worthy. Leave a wake worthy of, of touching lives and seeing those lives change. Amen. Hallelujah. God, watch over us today and keep us. May your blessings be upon us and your favor, which is better than silver and gold, may it be poured out on our homes and in our families and in our lives and on our jobs and in our finances and on our health. God, may your favor touch our lives and may it leave a ripple effect behind us and touch those who we're around. In Jesus' name. And God, I thank you for it and we praise you for it. In your name we pray and everyone shouts amen. Amen. We believe it. God blessings on you today.